All right, here we go. Would you mind introducing yourself for everybody? Hey, uh, I'm Joshua Rosa. I'm a farmer here in the Houston area. Farm a little bit west of Katy and Brookshire in a amenity farm, kind of like an agri-hood. Yeah. Oh, it's an agri-hood. Yeah. So have you ever heard of uh, Harvest Green out in like Richmond? Man, I went there and met Scott. Yeah. Yeah, I went and met Scott Snog Snodgrass. Did I say it right? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's it. I went yeah, and met he, him out there one time. Yeah, he's my he's my boss. Oh, is he? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's cool. So yeah, so I manage another farm. We're within the same company, but we're out in the like I said, like Brookshire area in a subdivision called Jordan Ranch. Jordan Ranch. Okay. I didn't know that's where it was. That's dope. How long have you been doing that? So the farm is going on its second year now. Yeah, we kind of, we took it from essentially like a, you know, an empty field and turned it into a farm. So it was really fun. Yeah, really, really great experience kind of taking something from just nothing, you know, and, and making it into a productive farm. So how big is the space where you farm? So we're three quarters of an acre in kind of diversified vegetables. And then we have about another three quarters of an acre in uh, like berries and fruit trees. So, you know, kind of like an acre and a half in total. But that's including like infrastructure that's on, on the, you know, on that land. We have a high tunnel that's included in that as well. So we're pretty small, you know, kind of like that market gardening scale. Yeah. I've seen you on IG, man. I see all of the like the big pots of food that you put out, man. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so we try to be pretty, like, bio-intensive there, especially here in the last, you know, couple months. We've really been trying to focus on putting as much in the beds as possible, a lot of intercropping, you know, reducing, like, spacing size. Uh, we've been playing with that a little bit, some experimenting, and yeah, things have, you know, seemed to be working, like, pretty well. I mean, we're, we're pretty productive without recording like every single thing just because it's you know as busy as we are sometimes we don't get to recording everything but you know within the last month you know may we pulled a little over a thousand pounds of food out of that space yeah so you know that felt really good because that was the first time we really like tried to document as much as we could of like what we were pulling out and yeah we we passed over the thousand pound mark there that's great. How has the farm, I guess, improved from year one to year two? Yeah, so drainage has definitely improved. You know, as you know, here in uh, kind of this this part of Texas, we're pretty much just straight clay. <laughs> we were working with like a piece of land that uh, maybe was previously like like a dump site for like construction out there because we're in a neighborhood. So we do actually have a decent amount of sand kind of scattered throughout. And we have certain, like we have the, the farm sectioned out into quadrants and a couple of the quadrants are pretty sandy. So we drain out better there, but drainage was kind of like an issue, but we've been really working on that and seen a lot of improvements. For the most part, we're pretty minimal disturbance. We don't use a rototiller there. So I wouldn't say we're technically no-till, but we're very minimal till or very minimal disturbance. And I think that's helped improve the soil quite a bit. Yeah, I think the, the concept or the idea behind no-till, I think it sounds great. And I think it works great for, uh, you know, like the farm at your house or your backyard garden. 
But I think when you get onto like a bigger scale, it's probably a lot harder to do no till. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, listening to a lot of other podcasts from other farmers, I think trying to switch from, you know, tillage to no till is pretty difficult as well. But, you know, sometimes you have to disturb the soil. You have to break it up, especially here with this clay. So you can give those give the roots, you know, that space to grow. Right. Because <laughs> they can just get stuck, you know, a couple couple inches down. You can have, you know, a really hard pan of soil. Yeah, I know about that. How were you first introduced to gardening? Like, did you grow up gardening? I did not. I'm kind of a couple generations removed from anyone gardening. You know, my great-grandmother and my great-grandfather, you know, on my father's side, or my mother's side. You know, I, I think they were gardeners. You know, I hear stories. They grew their own food. They saved their own seeds, you know, raised some animals. But, uh, you know, I never saw that. And so, yeah, I mean, gardening, farming is a pretty recent thing for me. And it was just really born out of, uh, you know, I was, working like in a clinic setting and it was rewarding great job but I just needed to get out you know kind of that I just need to be outside work with my hands and I found you know a local farm that needed some like farm hands you know field work and I just kind of hopped in and took the jump and then just fell in love with it from there how long ago was that uh, so that was about three and a half, almost four years ago now. Okay. You know, pretty like recent farmer. <laughs> okay. Are you happy you made the switch? I definitely. Yeah, I love it. Love my job. Wake up every day, excited to go to the farm and, you know, grow food, pick food, pick weeds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so earlier you said you've been kind of playing with the spacing and interplanting, right? Are you noticing that some of, I guess, the recommendations for spacing of certain plants isn't necessary? Yeah, I would say that. I don't think that it, I mean, to a degree. Right. You put, like, crops right on top of each other, of course. But, like, you know, I've always grown until this previous year, you know, like something like a cucumber. You know, you usually give cucurbits, like, a lot of space. I had previously been doing them, like, every two feet, you know, single row. And so, you know, here lately, we've been reducing that down to a foot even, really packing them in, uh, focusing on trellising things up. And then we've been intercropping underneath the cucumbers as well to really fill out the bed. You know, things have been growing decently well. You know, the focus is to get something like that main crop really producing. So something like the cucumber, you know, really producing. And then, you know, intercrops to fill out, out the bed, whether that's like scallions or beets or carrots underneath. And uh, we try to get as much out of those intercrops as we can. But, uh, you know, if you're getting that main crop and then you're getting some stuff from underneath, it feels like, you know, pretty successful. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. What kind of uh, what variety of cucumbers are y'all growing out there this year? We kind of move. Uh, Houston, you know, gets pretty hot pretty quick. So as soon as the frost it's done in the greenhouse. We're starting, you know, kind of the more desirable tender cucumbers. Those are like Persian varieties, Japanese varieties. And then we kind of move into like the Suyo Japanese cucumbers, which take the heat a little bit better. And then, you know, we're kind of starting Arminians in the greenhouse now. So, uh, which are technically like a melon, but they handle the heat great. It tastes like a cucumber. And yeah, I really enjoy Kitazawa Seed Company. I like to look through there and they have a lot of like great Asian varieties, really tasty stuff. And so grew a few varieties from there this year. What's the name of the seed company? 
uh, Kitazawa. Yeah, really great. I mean, they're pretty diversified in their seed catalog. So, I mean, you can go season to season to season with them. And they have a great selection of like Southeast Asian varieties that, you know, do well here in the Houston area. They have like a good selection of bitter melons, you know, loofahs, uh, like heat tolerant greens. They're really great. They're a really great seed company to check out for here. All right. I'm going to check them out. How many people work on the farm with you? So currently it's me and another farm manager. So just us two kind of managing that. You know, we do not your typical nine to five, but we don't stray from that too much. We each probably put in at least like 45, 50 hours a week there, you know, and it works out pretty well. Between the both of us, we kind of taper off and, you know, do things that are like probably better suited, you know, individually that we take care of. And yeah, it's worked out really well. The farmer I work with, she's fantastic, um, really skilled, has farmed like kind of all over the country, at least a decade into farming. And she just has knowledge, skills, and like all types of you know, arenas of farming. So we're a pretty quiet crew. You yeah. know? Uh, a lot of times, like we don't even talk to each other. <laughs> we're just like handling things, you know, and then we come together here and there and uh, talk about what we've been doing. But yeah, we work pretty like fluidly and yeah. I think two people can, you know, working hard can manage, you know, an acre and a half pretty well. Yeah, that was going to be my next question right there. You beat me to it. So, yeah, you think two people, they can handle an acre, acre and a half, no problems? I, I think maybe I wouldn't say no problem. <laughs> sure. I think if we had like another person, maybe like a part time farmer there, I think that would work out great, too. I think, you know, now that we're kind of not necessarily post COVID, but Things are starting to get somewhat back to normal. We're starting to kind of have individuals or small groups of people familiar with each other to come out and like do volunteer work. And I think that would really help too. So if we don't, if we didn't necessarily have like another person, you know, that off and on like volunteer work would also kind of help, you know, with some of that farm work and make it manageable for two people. Because I've I've always heard four people takes four people to kind of run an acre or do an acre. So I like when I hear that just two people are doing an acre and a half. I like that. Did COVID have any kind of effect on, on your? Yeah. Well, so as soon as COVID started, we are really starting to produce at the farm. So we kind of did like a pivot, you know, instead of focusing on selling produce, we were donating produce to some local food banks. We had some like small farm stands within the community where we we're giving people like samples of things that were coming out with the understanding that we are going to be selling it in the future as we're doing now. And then we did a lot of uh, donations in like accordant, well, not in accordance, like in like a conjunction with some other local farmers to help feed like out of work industry, food industry employees. And different stuff like that, you know, we were donating to uh, Finca Trace Robles okay. a little bit here and there. They were, you know, they expanded their CSA, so we were able to kind of supplement them, you know, a little bit. We didn't do that all the time, but whenever we could, you know. And then, you know, restaurant sales are kind of where I like to focus, and that really slowed down. But we kind of filled that space with, you know, again, like donating to, you know, people that were working in the restaurants that had like lost their jobs or, you know, weren't getting as many hours okay. as they were normally getting. So, yeah, but that was pretty rewarding. We're unique in that 
you know, we function as an amenity. So we weren't really too crippled by not having to sell as much. Okay. So where does the produce normally go? Go Or what is the plan for the produce that's produced on the farm? Priority for the, the residents within the community. So we host a couple farm stands a week. You know, residents can kind of come by within those hours, buy whatever they want. All the produce is available there. And then uh, beyond that, we sell to uh, restaurants. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, all that money comes back to the community, which is really nice. And so, you know, over the years, we've kind of developed some good relationships with restaurants uh, and chefs. And, yeah, we move a lot of produce that way. In the future, we have plans of kind of like having a self-service stand there at the farm. Okay. That's kind of in the works. So I wouldn't like (laughs) say I could give you all the details there. We're going to have to like... figure that out but we think that's a really great idea to like whether we're there or not have you know a system where you know residents can come by and purchase food and uh take it home you know if you're you're making dinner at night and you know you need some chives you need some scallions you want to add a tomato you know if it's in season to a dish you can walk down to your you know farm in your neighborhood and uh open up the cooler door and grab something pay for it and walk back home yeah that's pretty cool how many days a week do you do the farm stand? So we do them um, two days a week. And that's like, as of recent, we were just doing a weekend for a couple hours, but we're getting decently busy and people have differing schedules. So we do like a Wednesday and a Saturday now. Yeah. Wednesday, kind of later evening, Saturday in the morning to early afternoon. And that seems to be working out pretty well. And you said the rest of the produce, you try to get it like the plan was to sell it to the chefs. How do you get in contact with the chefs? I'm asking, let's say, let's say hypothetically somebody wants to start a new farm and they're like, man, I want to sell to chefs. Well, how do they go about getting their produce in front of these chefs? So I think it's just uh, kind of taking that confidence to pack up your produce and uh, go to the back door of a restaurant. You know, I think I have farmers ask me that all the time, you know, to, you know, make the statement to me that's kind of like, oh, you have this skill to talk with chefs. And it's, it's really not that. It's just kind of, you should have like a, just a confidence in yourself because the relationship that you're building with the chef is really between you and them. You know, it's being upfront with them. It's giving them samples of your produce, kind of understanding how each restaurant works. So we're pretty small. So I like to go to like a restaurant and meet the chef and, you know, kind of present myself that way, which is just like, we're small. We're great for like specials, like weekly specials. We do unique produce and, you know, bring them a sample, let them taste it. And, uh, you know, usually they kind of respond back and they're like, yeah, we'll try something. We'll, we'll put this in a dish. But I think chefs are like craving that. They're craving the relationship to the farmer and, you know, the local produce. In general, uh, you know, I think they like farmers coming to the back doors with boxes of, of fresh stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. Man. And I, th- I think it's as easy as that. It's as easy as just kind of going and, you know, meeting, meeting the cooks and talking with them and letting them taste things, letting them see what you grow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do any of the chefs come out to the farm? Or do they give you special requests like, hey, man, I I was out in, I don't know, you talked about Southeast Asia. I was out in Asia and I ate this bitter melon. Can you grow this for me? Yeah. So 
you know, chefs come out every once in a while. I think, you know, like farmers, they're busy, <laughs> you know. Yeah. When they can break away, they they try to. But yeah, off some I wouldn't say often, but every once in a while I get a request to grow something like unique, different, and that's really enjoyable because we have the opportunity to kind of trial stuff at like a small scale. You know, last year we had a chef ask us to grow some like different types of paste tomatoes an herb and Italian like wild mint. So, you know, we trialed that out and like got some out. And I think there's some understanding when things like maybe don't produce as well or don't grow at all, but at least you tried it, you know, I think they, they respect that. But yeah, that happens, but not too often. Okay. Chefs are usually good with what like you're growing. They kind of let the farmers do their job and they just kind of work with what you got. That makes sense. That makes sense. So stay in your own lane. They cook. They don't grow it. So just stay in your lane. Let me do this and you cook. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when you started out with this farm, right, what was, I don't know, like your dream or your goal? And now that you're two years in, uh, has anything changed with that? Yeah, I didn't. You know, when I first started, you know, I was just kind of trying to absorb everything. You know, I think eventually my goal is to, you know, have maybe my own piece of land, growing my own food, you know, running my own like small farm. I really like the small farm scale, the kind of market garden scale. But from starting to even till now, you know, I'm still just trying to like absorb everything and just build my knowledge on uh, like how to do things. I feel like I'm still learning, you know, a whole lot. A great example, one of the best things I've learned 2021, working with this uh, new farmer, you know, sweet potato slips always seem to get to us in rough shape from like seed companies. Right. And they always seem to get here a little bit late. So we kind of just took some sweet potatoes, some organic sweet potatoes, threw them in the ground, started our own slips. And my thought was that you take the slips off, you root them in water for a little bit, then you can plant them. And uh, yeah, this farmer, she was just like, no, you don't have to do all that. She's like, you can just snip them and throw them right in the soil. So we were just snipping like the slips right at soil level and putting them in the bed right next to it. You know, no roots or anything. And they're, they're doing fantastic. And it's like, it kind of blew my mind, you know, and it, it was great that I learned that. But in the same like moment, I'm like, wow, I still have so much to, to learn doing this because I would have never thought about that at all. I think like that willingness or that desire to always want to learn is great. Like never thinking you know it all, right? Right. Yeah, I think being humble is <laughs> really an important quality in a farmer. As you're going to make a lot of mistakes, going to have a lot of failures, but always being willing to like accept that you might not know it all and, and that you can always improve, you know, that really helps you become better. I agree. Hey, so you keep saying like a small garden, a market garden. What acreage, what size do you cap off and stop calling it a small garden? I think when you're having to, to pull out the, the track, you know, when you're having to buy a tractor. Okay. I think you're no longer a, uh, <laughs> a market garden. <laughs> I think that can vary. We use a push behind BCS tractor yeah. to do like bed slip. But, uh, you know, for the most part, we do everything by hand, with hand tools. Sometimes, you know, we have a permanent bed system, you know, and every once in a while we'll take the, uh, we'll take a rotary plow hooked up to the BCS, kick dirt back on top of those beds. But that can certainly be done with a shovel and would obviously take a, a lot longer. 
<laughs> but everything at the farm can be done by hand. It's not required to have a tractor. Okay. And then, you know, I think once you get to the point where you have to have the tractor to do the work, you're probably not able to do that on like a, <laughs> a market gardening scale, you know? True. So earlier you said that the area is like three quarters, three quarters of an acre for fruit and then three quarters for veg. Uh, what kind of fruits are you guys growing out there? So it's kind of a mix of fruit trees. There's pomegranate, figs, peaches, citrus, and then there's blueberries and blackberries. Okay. Everything is kind of still really young. So this year will be the first year we actually like kind of have some fruit. The blackberries are producing right now. Mm-hmm. And they're fantastic. You know, we, we kind of had somebody build us a trellis system and we trellised them up this year and they did really well. And then we'll probably have figs. Yeah, but everything else is maybe like a year off okay. before it's really producing food. But I also can't say that a super experienced like fruit tree, you know, farmer or berry farmer, just kind of also learning as I go. You know, this was my first year, like, you know, trellising berries up and picking berries and taking care of that kind of crop. So still, I learned a lot. And uh, yeah, I'll just continue to get better at growing fruit too, which is kind of hard to find here in Houston unless you're growing your own. If you go to a farmer's market, you know, we've got like a berry guy, you know, we got like a couple people doing citrus. It's kind of tough to find fruit here. I agree. I've noticed that myself. Yeah. So to me, that says like, it's difficult to do. (laughs) Yeah. If everybody's not doing it. Especially in this area, right? Yeah. Like that. When I think about that, I'm like, okay, it must be, must be a little bit harder than just growing some vegetables, you know? growing taking care of uh perennial crops like that it's a different type of farming i've killed my fair share of uh peach trees and apple trees man trying to grow them and blueberry bushes i've killed for the i don't know how many years ago i was buying them every year and they would die yeah yeah blueberries are tough you know that's one i still haven't figured out as well ours are still hanging on out there but you know i still got work to figure out how to get them really productive yeah yeah, I got lucky one time I got to go to a blueberry farm out in East Texas. I don't even know if it's considered East Texas, like an hour or so east of here. And just to see how the bushes are supposed to look, right? And then when they're filled with berries, it was pretty cool. Right, right. <laughs> and then I look at them and I'm like, man, mine don't look like that, man. <laughs> right. It's like, what are y'all doing? Yeah. What are y'all doing to get this? get actual food off of these plants and then they don't want to tell me they're like oh man we have it's just some some secrets right <laughs> i'm like i'm out here man give me a secret or two i'm not gonna go and sell your secrets right right yeah i just want to grow my own food. that's it yeah i feel like that's a good segue i really you know farming gardening is kind of weird in the information like portion of it people like to kind of hold on to this like this knowledge and it's kind of like just share that like we should all be learning how to grow food let's not hold on to that or try to make people pay for that kind of knowledge like yeah man like let's just spread it that really bothers me the whole um like especially with the internet age right now and everybody's like buy my course buy my class it's like right you want to learn how to grow food buy my course and it's like come on man just just tell them just, just tell them you don't have to pay for it right because i think you know honestly the people that are really going to want to grow the food are going to try and figure that out anyways yeah they're not going to pay you 
Right. They're going to see twenty nine ninety five and say, nah, man, I could buy a few bags of soil and enough seeds to grow for a season. I'm not paying you. I don't know. You kind of hope that growers, farmers, gardeners everywhere, that they want other people to do that as well and grow their own food and find the joy in, in doing that and, and feeding themselves or feeding themselves and other people. But yeah, I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole. But yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think that kind of knowledge should just be shared. If you have it, share it. Yeah. And quit trying to sell it to people. Right. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. And people who are buying it, quit buying it, and then they'll stop selling it. That's what I should say. Right. Everybody stop buying these courses, all right? Just go buy some dirt and try it yourself. That's the only way to really do it. Right, right. Yeah. And I think, like, again, like following you, I've listened to some of your previous podcasts, and, you know, you interact with other people, I, you know, on your podcast, or if you're featured on a podcast, I've listened to some of those. I think that's what everyone enjoys about you is that you are just putting that information out there. It's free. It was given to me for free. So how can I charge you? Right. That's so enjoyable. That means so much more to people than paying for a little bit of information, you know, sharing it, the connection and like, yeah, just giving that knowledge is That's worth everything right there. Yeah, man, I feel like if you're trying to do something to get rich or to make a lot of money, I don't know that selling gardening advice is really going to put a lot of money in your pockets. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I know. Exactly. (laughs) So, so, like, that's my thought process behind it is I'm not going to get rich charging you for information on tomatoes, right? So. Come get this information. We can all grow and then we can all change the world if we get enough people wanting to grow or searching for information about growing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I totally agree with that. So why can't we have more Jordan ranches, man? Why can't we have more farms incorporated into neighborhoods? I don't know. and But I also think that, you know, it's kind of a new thing. Yeah. You know, I'd certainly like never heard of a farm being offered as an amenity in a subdivision before, you know, I started working with this company and like, I don't know, like even nationwide that this is happening, you know, often happening on a large scale or even happening in in a lot of states. Right. So yeah, I think it's new. I think it'll take a little while to grasp for people to really want, but hopefully it does. This is something that people want and appreciate. And I see people every day at the farm and they're super happy it's there. I mean, it's enjoyable not to just like look at, but talk to people that are growing food that you're eating and just getting kind of like, again, like an education just through the farm being there. Whether that's like anything from some gardening tips or farming tips that we can give them to just tasting a fully ripe tomato in season and changing your flavor, you know, your palate, knowing like what an actual tomato is supposed to taste like. Yeah, I think especially it's great for the kids. You know, we have kids that come by and can give them like a sample of a, of anything, really. Carrot, tomato. Parents are coming back next week with them again, and they're like, hey, my kid likes tomatoes now. My kid likes this vegetable now. And that's really fantastic. It's really great for youth to kind of like grow up seeing food being grown around them and not to have so much disconnect from that. That's one thing I really just do with my kids, right? Because when I was younger, I got to see and experience food growing around me. And it probably is the reason why I'm here doing this podcast now. But I just want my kids to have that same thing because I know it's 
I don't know. It's just great. It's a great experience. It changes your whole perceptive or perception on life. Right. Yeah, definitely. Farming, gardening is not, it shouldn't be difficult things to like grasp. It's not calculus, you know, um, kids can learn how to do this stuff, you know, and it's knowledge they always have. And it should be knowledge that we always have. It should be something that we're that's passed down to us from our parents or from someone in our community that does it. So, yep. yeah, yeah, it's great. And that's definitely one of the, the biggest benefits of uh, my job, for sure. So you were talking about how you don't know that there are many agri-hoods uh, nationwide. And I think prior to going out to Jordan Ranch, the only time I had ever heard of an agri-hood was, I think it was Detroit. Or somewhere in Michigan, somewhere around Detroit. That was the only example that I had ever heard of it. I didn't know that. I'm glad they're doing it in Houston, but I didn't know that they were actually building these neighborhoods kind of centered around farming. Yeah, I mean, it's rare to hear about. There's just not many, you know, people doing it, you know. There's a pool in every neighborhood. Yeah, and multiple parks with the same playground set, right? Right. Yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. I'm personally not the person, you know, uh, kind of working on uh, selling that to uh, developers or to people who want to live in those things. That's kind of what my bosses do. But uh, yeah, I think they're doing a good job at, at it. And like, I, I know that they're always kind of talking about like possible, po the possibilities of doing that in like other states doing it more in Texas. So, you know, hopefully we see more of those, those places starting, starting to pop up. Yeah, I want to get it from, I know you're a little bit out west, outside of Houston. I want to get it to start working its way inside of the city. I feel like we have, especially the, the city owns so many lots, right? I don't understand why we can't kind of take your concept, what you're doing out there in Jordan Ranch, and just adapt it to fit here inside the loop. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know personally what all they're working on, but, you know, Finca, I think, here is like trying to lead that kind of lead that charge of like uh, more urban like farming and you know I think Tommy there is fantastic you know uh, to kind of lead kind of lead that but uh, yeah outside of just like community garden space yes there's really not much and there's very few of those even yes so but yeah I mean that would be great it would be great if there was I, I don't know what it takes exactly to get you know a big enough group within a community to decide to uh to want to have that available you know for for their area yeah i don't know either but whatever it takes but i think it's worth it yeah whatever it takes i need to figure it out i think it's worth every penny to do it <laughs> i gotta figure it out man because uh you know, I, I just feel like there there's certain neighborhoods where being able to walk out and see a cool farm or to see multiple lots within a neighborhood could kind of change your, your perception on life. Yeah, definitely. I, I think so. I think having that space available to you has so many positive benefits. If you could spend your time at the farm learning something, volunteering, interacting with the farmers i think that's just like so beneficial you know compared to something else that you could be doing that's maybe not as positive for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean because it just it, it teaches you lifelong skills and that's something that you you always have and i think everyone's craving that i think everyone's craving to learn something 
that they'll always have and that will benefit them. And growing food is certainly one of those things. You can do it forever and you can do it anywhere. Right. All right. So now that you've been in here, uh, been doing this about two years, what do you wish you knew going into this that you know now? You know, I, I knew really like nothing going into this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, almost everything, <laughs> but uh, just the, I think the sheer amount of work, I think is the obvious answer to this question. It just takes so much. It's so much to farm. It's constantly moving back and forth, picking things up, weeding, you know, having like a running list moving in your head at all times. It really just, you're encapsulated when you're farming, but it takes a little bit of time and trial and error to get to that, to understand that that's what you need to farm. So yeah, I think if I maybe had like a, a heads up where it's like, okay, you know, you're going to need to know how to do all these things and then, you know, adjust depending on all the, you know, weather or, you know, what have you day to day to day, just kind of be expecting to have to switch it up every day. I think that would have been good information to know because, you know, sometimes I have a plan and I, I go to work and I, I want to achieve something and I get there and, you know, conditions aren't right to do that. And so you just have to change. You have to be like, well, I have to wait for conditions to be right to do that task. So I'm going to have to move on to something else. There's always work to be done on the farm. You have to let things go and move on to something else and then come back to it when it's right. Okay. Yeah. All right, so I see, uh, I know that your IG name, your Instagram name is Farm and Forage. So do you spend a lot of time foraging? And if you do, what are you able to find here in Houston? So since farming, uh, I've been doing less foraging, uh, just because farming, you know. <laughs> okay. Farming takes up a lot of time. But previous to that, it was a really big hobby of mine, still is, uh, when I can get out. That's, I went yesterday. Really, it kind of started, I was working in a restaurant, washing dishes, and, you know, it was like kind of also doing some cooking, and, you know, the chef there had been using or had used previously wild mushrooms and, like, other wild foods, and he just kind of, like, posed, proposed the, like, opportunity to the whole, like, back-of-house staff. He was like, hey, if anybody wants to, like, learn how to forage stuff, I'll buy it from you, and so I was like, okay, well, that's you know, extra cash in my pocket. So, <laughs> you know, I put a little money up front and bought some field guides and, you know, taught myself and it ended up becoming like a fun hobby for me and, you know, my now wife. And we would just go out and look for stuff and learn about the trees and bring our books with us and like try to find stuff. Mostly we know wild mushrooms, like edible mushrooms, culinary purposes. But along the way, we've learned, you know, some edible like flowers and plants and berries and greens. And, you know, there's edible alliums out there. So it's fun. It's a really fun hobby, but it's also free food. And it's really delicious food. You know, there's all kinds of stuff to find. We're pretty diverse here in Houston as far as like the amount of wild food we have available to us. You know, sometimes we're not always like super abundant due to like either too much rain or no rain. You know, we have some drastic like we can be underwater or we could not have water for like a month, you know, no rain for like a month. <laughs> um, so that kind of, you know, uh, determines like what you can find, especially as far as mushrooms go. But when the conditions are right, there's a lot of stuff that's available. 
and it really only takes purchasing like a field guide and going out there and teaching yourself how to do it. Okay. I got a buddy. Um, he lives in, I want to say Idaho, but it might not be Idaho. And he's pro- he's big on foraging, man. I never actually went out with him. But I just remember uh, we had another mutual friend who used to live in California and we would go and we would all meet up there. And I remember him just walking off into the woods with big, uh, like, I don't know, let's call them paper bags. And he would come back and the bag would be halfway full, like a grocery store bag. (laughs) And he would come back with a bag full of mushrooms. And he was like, no, you can eat these. And I remember being like, man, I don't know about those (laughs) mushrooms. You can't just go pick wild mushrooms, man. You're going to kill us all. He was like, no, this is what I do, man. I, I, I host classes. People come to Idaho and I take them out foraging. So I just love the idea of foraging. I never got into it, but want to. Yeah, no, I think it's a great, I think it really goes along with like, with gardening, with being around food. Once you learn what's edible and what's not, it's pretty distinctive. And, you know, it's no different. It's going out there and like picking something that you can eat. Yeah, you might have to wash a little more dirt off of it. You may have to like clean it up a little bit more because you, you know, you weren't kind of procuring the area that it's growing in. But, (laughs) you know, it's food nonetheless, and it's really tasty stuff. I mean, some of the mushrooms that you can find out in, you know, growing wild, far superior in flavor to like anything you can get at the grocery store, which is essentially all the same mushroom, just different sizes. Yeah. And so, yeah. It's fun. I think it's worth the time to teach yourself. And uh, it's kind of addictive. You go out there and you just keep like looking for it. You keep hunting and trying to fill up your bag or your basket, you know, and uh, it feels like you're finding treasure. It's a really fun. It's a really fun hobby. <laughs> yeah, I bet, man. I, I Like I say, I'm, you have motivated me to go on Amazon and buy a field guide when this is over. And then I'm going to go out to some random areas and just start looking for mushrooms next time it rains. Yeah. Instagram was really, like, really helpful, too. You know, if you just put in, like, hashtag foraging or forager or mushrooms, you know, you you find these people who are extremely skilled at finding the mushrooms in their area. And they're so, most of them are so willing to, like, share this knowledge with you. And it's just kind of like, find your local field guide on mushrooms or plants or wildflowers or berries, you know, and take it out walking with you and look through stuff and, you know, figure out what trees are growing and figure out what plants are growing. And you just, you learn so much just by observing and then, right. you know, you're out walking and you're just constantly kind of looking, you know, it just, <laughs> you switch into this different mindset where you're like looking for, for stuff on the ground to eat, you know, to, Kind of, kind of strange, but it becomes fun and it, it makes you feel knowledgeable and more connected as well. I got a couple more questions for you, man. I know you're, you're an actual farmer, so I can't take up too much more of your time. Tips or advice for anybody looking to start a farm or get into farming? Yeah, I think the biggest tip is, you know, decide if you, if it's a right fit for you. I have seen people kind of like come and go where they think it's like a passion and it's a little more intensive than you think, you know, make sure you like being like dirty. You like getting bit by bugs all day. (laughs) You really like to sweat. Yeah. Move stuff. So I think one of the biggest things also to add to this is doing like a monotonous task, but finding the joy in that. Can you, 
be on your, you know, hands and knees? Can you be bent over picking weeds in a bed for hours on end, but then like be able to look up, look back behind you where you've been weeding and really appreciate all the work that you've done. If you can, if you're a person that can really enjoy that, then I think farming, gardening can be for you. That was great. Because if you're weeding and, you know, you're starting to have this thought in your head, you're like, this is not worth it. (laughs) And it may not be, it may not be worth it to really get into farming and gardening because it is worth it and it takes a lot of time and it's the same repetitive task, but that is farming, that is gardening. Right. And you have to be able to really appreciate doing those things over and over and over again. Okay. Okay. Now, this is a a new section I just added to the podcast. I call it the rapid fire section. Okay. I just come up with random questions off the top of my head and just ask you. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Boom. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, every meal, what would it be? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think it would have to be broad curry. Okay. Just because, like, curry can be anything really you know and it has delicious sauce and you're eating it with a grain i think curry is the i think curry's the right choice there <laughs> i like that answer i i really like that answer because i love everything curry do you have a favorite drink like not alcoholic or alcoholic i don't care i'm an iced coffee person all day iced coffee okay all day every day i'm i'm drinking iced coffee <laughs> okay Okay. What is your favorite thing to grow and your least favorite thing to grow? All right. My favorite thing to grow is carrots. I love carrots. Yeah. Yeah, definitely carrots. My least favorite, you know, I hate to say it because it does so well here, but it's, it's got to be okra. I just... Uh. <laughs> it doesn't come from the flavor of okra. I love okra. I grew up eating okra. I enjoy it. I eat it when it's in season. It's the picking okra. And I pick so much okra. I kind of dread it when it's, you know, we have so much of it. And you're like, you got to pick it every day. You know, that's the only reason why. I don't dislike the taste of okra. It's the okay. the amount of work that goes into okra. <laughs> so we're coming up on your favorite season then, right? It's about to be okra season. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. We've got a couple rows at the farm, you know. We've got more in the greenhouse. But you have to grow it. As a farmer here, you have to grow it. It's such a sustainable food. It produces so well. There's so many uses for it. Yeah. I mean, it's great. It's a great crop. It's just, it gets real labor intensive when you have a whole lot of it. <laughs> yeah. I know I I don't have a farm, so I know from like a smaller scale, just having more than one okra plant in my backyard is overkill. Yeah. Right. And then, because once I have more than one, I'll only pick from one, and then the other one, I just kind of forget about it and let it do its thing, and then, eh. Right. <laughs> so I, I feel your pain when you're like, man, I just don't want to have to harvest that okra. Right. Yeah, and then, you know, it feels like a, I think a lot of it is, it feels like a waste if you let it go too far, because you're like, ah, oh, man, this is so tough. I can't do anything with it. I didn't pick it. And I think that's where most of it stems from. Like, I hate letting it go to waste, but picking it every day is kind of, intense to do <laughs> all right man so that was my those are my last questions that's it if you tell everybody where they can get in contact you or where they can find you on instagram or wherever yeah you can find me on instagram farm underscore and underscore forage you know i'm mostly just posting 
vegetables from the farm. You know, if I find some stuff foraging, I post that too. And yeah, reach out to me there if you're local and you want to like come visit the farm stand when we got stuff. We're always trying like new, unique things. So it's always exciting to come out, uh, get some new, some new tastes and flavors. And yeah. Cool. All right, man. So that's it. And like I said, I know you're a real farmer. So I guess get back in the fields, man. <laughs> yeah, I got to get back to it. <laughs> cool, man. Thank you. Before I let you go, I need you to do more than one thing. First, I need you to like, comment, subscribe to the podcast. Second, I need you to tell a friend or two about the show if you enjoyed it. And if you have anybody you think I need to talk to, I should interview, send the name over, put it in the comments, or send me an email, igrow at Big City Gardener. And check me out, man, on Instagram and on all social media platforms, Big City Gardener. We out. Oh, almost forgot. Just grow it. <laughs>